You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, the Lord Jesus intends to set before us this night his body and his blood for us to eat and to drink. And so we ask if we are worthy to approach this gift, this table, and to take into our mouths these precious gifts. The standard is the Ten Commandments. So we consider our lives according to them. First, you shall have no other gods. This means that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. This means that at the top of the list of the things that you are afraid of, above death, above suffering, above loss, above shame, at the very top should be God. At the top of the list of all of the things that you love, above yourself, above your security, above your happiness, should be Jesus. And at the top of the list of the things you trust, should be the name of the Lord your God. So we ask ourselves, is it true? Do I fear and love and trust in God above all things? Or do I have other things that I fear and love and trust more than God? Things that I'm more afraid of, more in love with, that I rely on more. Those are my idols. And they are legion. Second, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This means that we should fear And love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie, or deceive by His name, but call upon it in every trouble. Pray, praise, and give thanks. We should pray without ceasing. We should love the Lord's Word and His kindness. We should cling to His truth and never forsake it. We should be faithful in our prayers for our family, for our friends, for our neighbors, for those in authority over us, and for those over which we have authority. Are you? Am I? Zealous in prayer or listless and bored with my prayers? Do I even think that God hears my prayers and answers them? Do I think that my prayers make a difference? Third, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and His Word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Do I love coming to church? Do I delight in being gathered together with God's people? 
Do I take joy, perhaps more than anything else that I do, do I take joy in reading the Bible and meditating on the Lord's Word? Or am I bored with the doctrine? Bored with the teaching? Bored with God's holy word? Indifferent to it? Or I, take the, I take the parts of the Bible that I like and I believe those parts, but I take the parts that I don't like and I put them aside. Am I diligent in rejoicing in the Lord's truth? Fourth, honor your father and your mother. This means that we should fear and love God so that we do not despise our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Do you? Or are you rebellious? Or indifferent? Or bitter and angry. Do you want to? Do you want to be your own authority instead of rejoicing in the authority that God has put over you? Am I obedient, or am I rebellious in my actions or in my thoughts? Fifth, you shall not murder. This means that we should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor and his body, but help and support him in every physical need. We should be concerned for our neighbor's well-being and be concerned for their well-being more than your own, more than my own. I should spend my time, my energy, my money, my effort, making sure my neighbor is doing well. But do I even know my neighbor's name? Do I care about him? Do I give him a thought? Am I angry with people? And, and considered other people to be my enemy. Paul says, our fight is, against, is not against flesh and blood, but against the demons and principalities, and yet we, we often declare other people to be our enemy or the people that have hurt us to be unworthy of our love. We're angry. We cut them off. We don't love them. We don't serve them. We don't, we don't bless them. Jesus says, if, you, if you're angry with your brother, you've murdered him. If you call... If you call your neighbor a fool, you've murdered him, says Jesus. Have I called people a fool? Who am I angry with? Six. You shall not commit adultery. 
This means that we should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do and husband and wife love and honor each other. The sixth commandment requires of all of us that we would be chaste in what we do and what we say and what we think. Jesus says that if you have lusted after another woman, that you have committed adultery in your heart. Am I chaste? Seven. You shall not steal. This means that we should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. This means we should be generous. It means that, that we should use the wealth that the Lord gives us to bless our neighbor and not keep it for ourselves. And yet we are often found to be both greedy and lazy, the twin vices of the seventh commandment. We love to have our stuff. In fact, in fact, we trust in our wealth. We think that if we have enough, we're safe. Our love for our money and our possessions is so profound that it approaches idolatry. And Jesus has to preach this over and over again, that we cannot serve both God and money. You love one and hate the other. You trust in one and despise the other. And yet we put our trust in our stuff and our love and our affection in our stuff. And we think that we'll be content if we have a little bit more. We say, I worked hard for it. I earned it. It's mine. They want more. They should work for it. And we excuse our greed. Do I love money? Eight. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This means that we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. It means we should tell the truth. Have I lied? Or have I, have I said things that are true, but misrepresented the facts? Have I spoken poorly about other people to make them look good, to make myself look bad, to cause other people to be afraid or to like me more? Am I bitter? This commandment covers that. In other words, have I, have I convinced or have I, have I grown a need in my own heart for the other person to be diminished? kind of brooding anger that motivates 
talking bad about someone else. Do I speak poorly of people? Do I build people up? Do I tell the truth? Or do I, do I try to present things so that I look good? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. We should fear and love God so we don't scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right but help and be of service to him in keeping it. Am I living life such that it seems like I'm keeping God's law on the outside while all the time I'm really serving myself and my own interests. So that people look at what I say and what I do and say there is a person who keeps God's law when the inside is simply rot and idolatry and service to self, that everything only appears right. But none of it is motivated out of a love for God and the neighbor. None of it. Ten. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox, or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. This means that we should fear and love God so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife workers or animals or turn them against them, but urge them to stay and do their duty. Do I desire the things that God wants me to desire and do I despise the things that God tells me to despise or do I want what I want and it doesn't matter what God says? I mean, this commandment is at the end, but it's really the beginning of all of them, isn't it? I mean, this is the problem with Adam and Eve. Eve looked at the fruit and looked at how good it was to eat and desirable to make one wise, and she wanted it, and desire gave birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, becomes death, says James, so that all of your sin, every single one of them, begins here with your corrupt desires. You want, you want the wrong thing. In fact, so, so corrupt are our desires. I had a, I've had two conversations just this week with people who were, who were worried that when they get to heaven, they're going to be disappointed because heaven is not what they want. Do you, do you see how we have let our desires become our God? And the thing that we want is the thing that apparently matters most of all. So that God now is serving our own desires rather than our desires standing under His Word like the Ten Commandments and this Tenth Commandment would, would have it. Am I being led by my own desires? Do I want the things that my flesh wants or do I want the things that God teaches me I should want? Dear Saints, these... These Ten Commandments are not a joke matter. It's not a suggestion. It's not like God has ten 
pro tips that we might want to follow or something like that. These are his commandments. This is, this is his will, and it is his will for you. His requirement for you. His standard for you. And this standard means he, he treats the standard with such seriousness that breaking this standard means that we have made ourselves God's enemies. All have sinned, says St. Paul, and fallen short of the glory of God. All. You, the person sitting next to you, the person standing in front of you preaching, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, to know that is the beginning, the beginning of knowing our sin. But there's even something more. Because we have a tendency, I think, we have a tendency to treat our sin uh, as mistakes. We have, this, uh, we have this saying that we comfort ourselves. Uh, to err is human. Or everybody makes mistakes. Or uh, nobody's perfect. As if when we were to stand before God on the judgment day and be held accountable for our sin, God would say, well, nobody's perfect. Don't worry about it. Come on in. No. Your sin has made you God's enemy and has put you in line for God's wrath. Your sin, by your sin, you have made yourself worthy of God's judgment, of hell. It's what you deserve. It's what's right. It's what's right for me too. Your sin has made you unfit for God's presence, not only for time, but also in eternity. As you've already confessed tonight that you deserve God's temporal and eternal punishment. You said it with your own mouth, and it's true. And there's nothing that you can do about it. You can try to keep the commandments. In fact, you should try to keep the commandments. I think one of the things that condemns us is the fact that we see the Ten Commandments and we don't even try. You can try to keep the commandments. But you haven't. And you won't. You cannot save yourself. You cannot rescue yourself. You cannot be your own savior. And that's the end of it. At least, that's the, the law. Paul says, 
that by the ministry of the law, every mouth is stopped. Which includes your mouth, which is always trying to justify itself, and my mouth, which is always making excuses. Every mouth is stopped. There's no way to argue out of this trouble that you're in. You need something else. You need another. You need a Savior. You need Jesus. And dear friends, you have. This is what Jesus is doing on the cross. He's taking the wrath that you deserve because of your sin and the wrath that I deserve because of my sin, the anger of God that should be rightly yours, the punishment of God that belongs to you. He's taking that upon himself and he is suffering that punishment. That is the pain of the cross. That is the suffering of Good Friday. It's it's not the whip and the nails and the crown that does the wounding of Jesus. It is the wrath of God. My God, my God, remember, why have you forsaken me? We considered him stricken by God and smitten, not because he'd done anything wrong, but because he he took your sin upon himself and the punishment for your sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for you. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that the cost, the cost of your transgression is paid by His blood. He is your Savior. He is your Rescuer. He is your Deliverer. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who bears it on your back so that you would not have to suffer, but rather that you could rejoice. So, so that your eternity would not be in hell, but rather before the Father's face in heaven. So that you would enjoy eternally not the fruit of the sin that you have sown, but the fruit of His death and His resurrection. He dies to win salvation for you. He hands Himself over to the suffering of the cross for you. He he hangs uh, between heaven and earth forsaken by God and all of humanity. He does all of this for you so that He could embrace you and hold you tight in His love and His mercy. And so that you would know that. So that you would know that His love for you is certain and sure and unwavering and unmoving. On the night when He was betrayed, He took bread and He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he blessed it and said, this is the cup of the New Testament shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this. Do this often in my memory. So that you would know that the death of Jesus 
was for you, He gives you His body and blood so that you would know that the forgiveness of sins is for you. He gives you His body and His blood so that you would know that, that heaven is open, that you have already passed from death to life, that the Father does not hate you, but in fact, that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit love with everything that they have, that they love you. Jesus gives you His body and His blood for the forgiveness of your sins. So we come back to the question, are you worthy? Are you worthy of this gift? Are you worthy of the body and the blood? The the same question is this, are you a sinner? And if you are a sinner, then you are who the supper is for. If you have broken a commandment, then the supper is for you. If you have made yourself an enemy of God by transgressing one of His commands, then Jesus has the word for you. Come, eat, and drink, because this meal is not for anyone who would be their own Savior. It's for sinners. Because this body and this blood forgives Sins. Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. And Paul says, Christ came for sinners of who I am the foremost. You want to know if you're worthy to stand here? Worthy to take the body and blood of Jesus in your mouth? Worthy to take His name upon your lips? Worthy to stand before Him on the day of judgment? Worthy to have His blood shed for you? The answer is, dear saints, yes, you are worthy. Because you are a sinner. A sinner who is died for by Jesus. A sinner who is redeemed by His blood. A sinner who is rescued by His death and by His resurrection. So let's eat. And let's drink. And let's believe and live forever. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.